This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting and Sales EQ, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. This is my sixth and final installment of my conversation with Anthony Andorino on competitive displacement. And on this episode, we discuss why you don't always need to get to the decision maker. Sometimes you just need to find the CEO of the problem. First, though, did you know that I'm one of the few business authors who records his own audiobooks? And you can get my latest audiobook, Objections, on Audible, Google Play, iTunes, or wherever audiobooks are sold. And now the final installment in my conversation with Anthony Inarino on competitive displacement. This leads me to one of the greatest myths in selling, especially in business services selling, and that is that you should always start at the top. I think it started with selling to Vito, right? The very important top officer. And and it, look, I, there's nothing wrong. I mean, seriously, if you can get in front of the CEO or you get in front of a P&L owner, you should certainly do that. But in many cases, those people are completely disconnected from a mid-level small service in the organization. So most of the time you're gonna be dealing with somebody who's a mid-level manager or director in the company, or even the, of someone who is, like I, I sold a lot of times to the dude that was working in the tool crib, right? You know, somebody low in the organization who has the authority to make a decision or at least recommend a decision. And you, you talk about this in the book, and I'm just interested, you know, where you, you know, where you think people should start. And I'll just give you my philosophy real quickly. You know, salespeople always ask me that question. And, and I say, listen, if you can get the CEO to buy in, I, I love it. But in so many cases, especially in competitive displacement, you're not going to be dealing with the CEO. You're not going to be dealing with a general manager. You're going to be dealing with someone who's going to be helping you sell to that person. And as much as I would like to tell you that in a, in a rose colored glass world, that you're always going to be working with a decision maker and you should always be talking to the decision maker. I've been doing this for 30 years. I sold a lot of stuff when I never met the person who even signed the contract. So in that vein, the thing that I know Tell us about your philosophy and how you deal with this in, in the book and, 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 of course, your advice for salespeople. I, if somebody leaves a door open, like the back door, I'll walk in the back door and talk to Jimmy if he's standing there or Jenny, either one, I'm fine. If, if somebody leaves a window open and I have to crawl through the window into an office and talk to a, a gatekeeper, who, whoever is going to talk to me, I'm going to talk to because I know I got to go up and down. So I got to go vertical and I got to go horizontal and pick up all the people anyway. So I would just tell you the idea that the CEO cares about what you sell is highly unlikely. It's highly unlikely. Even in your world, you don't know the CEO for, I know one of your financial clients, you don't know the CEO, doesn't need you, but you do have this person that I call the CEO of the problem. And the CEO of the problem is the person that goes, these people need skilled up. And I need somebody to come in here and change their mind about what they're doing, give them the beliefs, give them the mindset, the skill set, the toolkit. And I'm responsible for that. And the CEO doesn't care because the CEO gave me the job and said, you figure out how to get the best out of this sales force. So figure out how to do that. Here's the money and here's the people figure out what to do. That person cares deeply about what you do. So they're what I call the CEO of the problem. What's their title? 
I mean, who knows what their title is? Executive vice president of sales, maybe. Uh, director of marketing, potentially. Learning and development, possibly. I mean, it could be all over the map. And so when you start looking at it and going, what's the title? Who has the responsibility for getting the outcome? That's the person you're looking for. And the CEO, if you go to the CEO and you say, listen, I, I have sales training. It's better than any training you have. Go, yeah, I got a guy who does, takes care of that. You should actually call that guy because I pay a guy who's really smart to figure out that kind of thing for me because I don't really do that. I'm the CEO of the company. I'm executing this strategy. I'm having investors meetings. We're doing earnings calls and all these other things. Jeb, thanks so much. Good to meet you. Now go talk to a guy who cares about what you do. And when you think about the C-level executive's job, it's the execution of everything, but they don't do the execution themselves. They have a group of people that work for them that they give certain responsibilities. The CFO cares deeply about the financials. And you know, so the CEO has somebody working on these things. I would tell you though, the CEO of the problem is easier to find, number one. They're easier to get time with, number two. And it's easy to be relevant to them because they care deeply about what you do. So if you're trying to find somebody, look at the titles and find those people because it's the best place to start. And isn't it more important that you're aware about where you stand? It's, yeah. it's when, you're, when you're dealing with the CEO of the problem uh, and, and you think that that person has the economic ability to sign the contract when the CFO really has the economic ability. When you delude yourself into believing that, that's when you get in trouble. But when you, like you said, you know, I love the go around the back hack, right? I just go around the back and ask for Stan. You know, yeah. like, who's Stan? And it goes, you know, Stan, the dude that does that. And they go, you mean Jimmy? I went, yeah, Jimmy. That was another account over there. And then they walk you into Jimmy's office. You know, so you start meeting with Jimmy. It's just you have to have the awareness where salespeople go wrong is they go meet with a clerk and then they believe that clerk is going to take them all the way to the house. And that's not always going to happen. But it's like you said, and I've, I believe this, when I'm trying to get into an organization, I'm going to have a conversation with anybody that I can talk to and begin to put the jigsaw puzzle together until I get the right combination of people and you know, the CEO of the problem who can lead the effort, whether I can talk to the, the, you know, directly to the person who can you know, sign the contract or I'm helping the person who's the CEO of the problem sell me to that person. Either way, I'm going to win. And you, know, and you would think, like the, especially the companies that I deal with, that we would be dealing all the time with, with top officers. And most of the time, we're not. Most right. of the time, we're dealing with someone mid-level in the organization. They typically have a budget of some kind, and they're making a decision for us. And, you know, this is the vertical and horizontal. So the, the vertical might be sales, but the horizontal might be the CFO has the budget. So I got to get over into the finance department somehow. I got to bring that person into this conversation. So it doesn't matter where you land. You just have to know who do I have to go collect to get a deal. And you might find out that Jimmy says, whatever I hand the CFO, the CFO signs because I have a budget. And when I say this is what I want, they sign the budget. It's not a problem for me. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But most of the time, Jimmy knows where the line is for Jimmy and he's going to be able to take care of it. And I, I think that that's in it. We, we, uh, we underestimate the difference between influence and authority. You know, the CFO has authority, but Jimmy has influence. But we, but we miss that delineation because the same salesperson who's walking in a discovery and going through a list of questions, the first one, which is, what's your pain points, right? Is the same salesperson who's walking in the door and going, are you the decision maker? Yeah. You know, neither of which are going to get you the outcome that you desire. 
so let's let's talk about this this because that, that's fascinating the difference between authority and influence and why that's important well i know something about you that i can share here with people with them personally you have a, a very traditional marriage with your high school sweetheart if people don't know that i do know that for sure and I can be 100% confident in saying that Jeb wears the pants in this relationship because Carrie says he's allowed to wear the pants. And, and, and that's the difference between authority and influence. So the, the difference is there can be organizational chart authority or, or role authority or formal authority and informal authority. But what tends to move deals is influence. And the mistake that people make is thinking, well, if I get to this person, then I have the person I need because they're the decision maker. Well, I've been in a room, you probably have too. So I've been in a room with 14 people and one person says nothing the entire time. That's the one I'm worried about. The one that asks no questions, I'm worried about that person because that's typically the one that gets to whisper and say, I think that guy was lying. I don't think he was telling the truth about how they do that. You're done. You're done. And if you, in that same room with 14 people I was talking about, I watched, this is a true story, I watched who the questions went to and who asked the questions. And the questions went to three people and three people out of 14 only and every question came to those three. I'm like, well, here's the center of gravity. These are the people with influence. Now you know who they are. The decision maker was supposed to be the one that led us in the room. I met with the two that got the questions outside of that one and had a deal signed without ever seeing the decision maker again, because they got to go to the decision maker and say, we want this. And that's all it took. So influence counts for a lot. And there are people that, and you have people on your team like this, that you trust. You say, I trust this person. They can make the decision. They don't even need me there. I trust them. They can make this decision and you'll listen to them. And if somebody was, let's talk about Brooke. Let's say somebody's terrible to Brooke. They mistreat Brooke they're rude. They step way over the line. Brooke can walk to you and say, Jeb, we're not doing business with them anymore. And you're like, you're right. We're not. You're not going to treat my people that way. That influence extends. It doesn't matter what your title is. It's a matter of who has the influence to say, yeah, this is right. And I want this. And as more and more decisions are made by consensus, this becomes the, uh, the critical factor for people to figure out. It's funny. You're talking, I was in a, um, I was in this uh, this final presentation process, and it was a it's a big company, big brand, and the they had brought all of the senior officers into the room because this was a big cultural change for them to shift from what they were doing to operationalizing sales EQ and and taking on that IP, and we had like this whole cadre of of you know big egos and big people we had done all this research we went in we had charted them we understood them we knew what questions we were going to ask them and we're in the middle of throwing this out on the table and asking questions and these guys are like hitting us with every kind of hardball question they there's a couple of times where they just stopped and they were arguing with each other about what they should do and everybody had an opinion and in the middle of one of these audio or these arguments my sponsor my executive sponsor who was a senior vice president motioned to me and i walked over and it was like one of those congressional things he whispered, whispered in my ear and he said don't worry about all this stuff he said the uh the coo already signed the contract and i was like <laughs> you know so i just like i just stopped and let we finished the entire thing up but that guy had the influence right the decision maker was the coo 
But this person, because of his relationship with the COO, had said, this is what we're going to do. And we were just going through the motions for everybody else to make them feel like there was consensus, even though the decision already been made. Now, right. I didn't know that going in, right? I just found that in the process. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it is, it's always interesting uh, how that works. And one of the things that you know, I always do and I, and I teach my people to do and I teach the people that I teach to do is when you're doing a presentation or proposal and you're bringing it to someone, the CEO of the problem, you know, I always say anything that you leave, anything that you, that you drop off in these types of situations, it has to be able to work when you're not there. It has to be able to tell the story when you're not there because, and this is important, a lot of times you're dealing with someone who has influence and they're going to bat for you, right? If they're your coach or they're your, you know, your sponsor or they're one of the key influencers to go to the person who's actually signing the contract and I have to set them up for success. I literally, in some cases, have to teach them how to sell the process. So, and I don't think salespeople really always get this. And I think they, they, they shortcut their, their, anything that they're leaving off, their presentations, their proposals, and they shortcut helping the influencer work for them. I think they also need to ask to be in the room if they can. I would rather carry the football myself if I could because I think I'm better fullback <clears throat> or halfback. And when you hand it off, if, if they have to take it on their own, you better do the work to prepare them. I mean, they better know the arguments. And I can just tell you, if you've sold – whatever you sell for any period of time, you know what concerns people are going to have. So you prepare them for the concerns and say the likely objection is going to sound like this. This is what they're really concerned about. Here's how you better address it. Mm -hmm. And you better coach them for that. Otherwise they're set up for failure. Uh, and, oh, and you, well, you're set up for failure because you didn't take the time to do that. And you're exactly right. When you can get in the room, get in the room. Sometimes you can't. And when they can't, you got to do your homework in advance and you got to, you got to help people who aren't as good as you sell and you can't, you can't, you can't leave it up to faith and hope. You have to, you you have to engineer and be intentional about that person walking in and influencing the person who, who is going to say yes or no the right way. Engineer is a good word. You engineer it. I'm a salesperson, and I'm getting out of my car. I've just listened to this podcast, or I've uh, I've watched the video. And I'm going on my next call. Let's just say that it's my first or second call. I've got a prospect who is doing business with my competitor. The competitor has been there for, let's say, six or seven years. I've been able to prospect and ask for time. They let me in the door. So I'm in the door. So clearly, and I always say this, like, if they let you in, something's, there's something happening. Because they're yeah. really, really, really happy. You're never getting in. So what advice would you give me? I'm getting, I'm, I'm about to walk in the door right now. That's going to change the shape of my next sales call. Yeah, I think that's a great question. The first thing that I'm going to do is set a strong agenda and I'm going to propose something that works in my favor for beginning a displacement. So my conversation is going to say, Jeb, thank you so much for the time. What I'd like to start with is just some context for how we think about the industry and we think about the strategic outcomes we're presenting. So to do that, I'm going to share with you a few of the trends that we're tracking carefully and some of the questions that we're helping our clients answer. And so you're using uniforms right now, and there's a number of things about finding the right people. There's a lot of different things that we want to talk about, but I'd like to share these with you. And if, if it makes sense after that, I'm probably going to ask you for a meeting to meet with some of the people on your team to understand how this shows up in their world. Does that agenda work for you, or is there something else you need to do? I want to start with context specifically because the first question is why change, right? Okay, so if that's true, 
I have to create the case for change. I have to talk about why other people are changing so that I can start giving them a vision to open up that gap and switch that lens out. My whole intention is to switch that lens out in that conversation and I'll do whatever I need to do. So I would tell you, understand what's going on in the world, understand what's going on in their business, understand what your existing clients are changing for. So if you're, if you're listening to this right now, if you're within the sound of our voices, pay attention humans, uh, then think about why did your existing clients move? What was the strategic outcome they were trying to get? And you want to start with those strategic outcomes. So right now, if I worked for sales gravy, I would say, uh, my company can help you accelerate the year pipeline, capture greater wallet share from your existing clients, win new opportunities and increase your win rate. Those are all strategic. So if you go to a sales organization and say, do you care about your pipeline? <laughs> yes. Do you care about your win rates? Hell yes. Do you care about creating enough opportunities to capture 100% wallet share and new opportunities to reach your goal? I'm talking about the most strategic of outcomes because that's what they care about. And if you say, do you care about sales training? Not really. <laughs> I don't really care about sales training. If I could have those outcomes without the sales training, I'd just take the outcomes. The, tra the training is necessary to get there, but we tend to start with, my company does training, we've been in business for this long, instead of starting with, how do you accelerate your pipeline? You know, which is a different question altogether. Awesome, I love that. Good advice, right now advice, when you're getting out of your car, and I know you're listening to this in your car, or you're watching a video to get pumped up for your next call, Anthony's advice is right on the money about setting the agenda and setting the stage. This is the key to, to, to setting up all the next commitments that you have to make. Uh, Anthony, before we go, tell people where they can buy Eat Their Lunch, love the name of this book, and where they can find out more about you and consume more of your content. Okay, the best place to get the book right now is one of two, amazon.com, for sure, that's the easy place. Or if you're gonna buy it in bulk, and a lot of people buy it for their teams, so like they do your books, you wanna go to 800 CEO Read, they're the best book people in the business, and you're gonna get the best price there, and uh, they're gonna take great care of you. So 800 CEO Read's a good place to get it. To find out more about me, go to thesalesblog.com, which is a lot easier than trying to find anarino.com unless you're looking at my last name there on the screen where Jeb has so nicely blown up a giant picture of the book cover, which I hope that you'll put, I've got one of those just like that. I want to send it to you. Maybe you'll put it on the sales gravy wall right next to yours. <laughs> I will. Uh, so it's a couple other things. Anthony's got a rocking YouTube channel. So go to youtube.com forward slash anarino. And Areno, uh, and and if you love this podcast, one of my other favorite podcasts is on all of my playlists is in the arena, uh, and it's a fantastic podcast. So it's it's one that you want to add to your playlist, and you can get in the arena wherever you get podcasts on iTunes, on Stitcher, uh, on Overcast, on Podbay, all of those places. You got to listen to that, and then you can find Anthony on Twitter at at Anarino. You can find Anthony on Instagram at. Anna Reno. <laughs> uh, and uh, I know that you can, you can, uh, you can jump on your, uh, your Facebook page at the sales blog, <laughs> the sales blog <laughs> facebook.com forward slash the sales blog. And if you just type in his name on LinkedIn, you'll find him everywhere because he's posting all the time. So you want to make sure you, you, uh, you connect with him on LinkedIn or following him. I don't know if you're, you may be like me. I'm LinkedIn is, is, is putting a governor on the number of people that can actually connect with me because they only actually have 30,000 connections. So 
but that doesn't mean that you can't still connect. You can click the follow button on his profile and then you get to see all of the content that he posts. And, and Anthony's like me, we uh, have a passion for advancing sales as a profession. So every day of our lives, we're adding content, value added content online so that uh, we can help you get better at your, at your, uh, your craft. That's it. I was like, I was going to get the last word. Oh, I get the last word. I no, love you. Gonna get, I just let you just, I just let you say something. You could say, so go follow me or whatever. No, I, I wouldn't send it right there. Let me, I, I won't, I won't put you on the spot. Let me finish. I'll finish up. I can finish up too. It's okay, either good. way. Go, go for it. Okay. Thank you, my friend for having me on. You know, I love you. You're my best friend. And uh, for people who don't know this, Jeb travels every week. He sleeps at home maybe 17 nights out of uh, the year, which is why I think he's still married. That's just my own personal uh, opinion. But on Friday nights when he lands in Atlanta and he gets in the car and he goes home to drive home to Georgia, I'm the one that he talks to. That's true. That's true. I call Anthony first, then I call my wife. So if Anthony doesn't <laughs> talk to me all the way home, about halfway in between when he takes off to go see his wife, I call home and then Carrie talks to me the rest of the way in. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for being on. This is fantastic. And uh, thank you for joining me for Sales Masters and the Sales Gravy Podcast. Have a great day and go sell something. I really hope you enjoyed this series of conversations with Anthony on competitive displacement and that what you learned here will help you close more deals and increase your income. And I encourage you to go pick up Anthony's new book, Eat Their Lunch. You can get it at Barnes & Noble, at Amazon, or wherever books are sold. And while you're out looking for Eat Their Lunch, go download my brand new audiobook, Objections. I recorded it myself, and I think you'll love it. 